Hey everyone, what's up and welcome to Front Run, where we predict the future of money and technology. Thank you to all of the new listeners, subscribers, and followers. Tons of traction over the past couple of weeks. Pleasantly surprised and greatly appreciated. If this is your first time with us, we are all here to Front Run, what we believe is the next generation of wealth creation, decentralized finance, and crypto. I'm your host, John Cook. It is the second week of February, 2023. Super Bowl weekend for those in the States. And we have an interesting topic that we're going to cover today. I wrote a lot about this on FrontCrypto.com. I think it's one of my longer writing pieces. I clocked it at 17 minutes. It probably took maybe 5 or 10 hours to write. I'm not really sure. But it's important. It's important because today we are going to answer the question, what's causing crypto prices to go up, right? There's a lot of, there's a big, there's a lot of narratives and talking points and and ideas and thought pieces that permeate across Reddit and crypto Twitter about why this price action that we're experiencing in the crypto ecosystem is somehow different this time. I mean, why are why are crypto prices going up? Why is Bitcoin up thirty five percent year to date, twenty twenty three? Why is Ethereum up thirty percent year to date? 2023 why is optimism up optimism up 150 percent year to date 2023 is it because we're in this new perma bull run era where we've transcended a new set of fundamentals or we have new user adoption or we have product market fit that we didn't have before or is it the federal reserve acting as the invisible hand of the crypto economy by controlling interest rates and as a byproduct the spending habits and general sentiment of the broader investing community or or is this just another dead cat bounce where we'll see a little pop and then it will drop down and all the gains we've realized over the past 30 days will be gone so we are going to answer that question today i encourage everyone to Go to frontruncrypto.com, hit the subscribe button there. It's it's free. And it's actually the center point of Front Run Out Loud, which is the podcast that you can see right now. Every week I publish two thought pieces on the crypto market. Usually one piece is my point of view about the market or some some event that's taking place. Uh, and then the other article is usually some like technical piece, like how some protocol or DAP works or something along those lines. Like, for example, last week I wrote about uh, Grayscale's misconduct and conflicts of interest with, the, with Digital Currency Group. And I also wrote about um, sentiments under collateralized lending platform on Arbitrum, right? Two very different topics. So good compare and contrast. So if you haven't already, go to frontrunnycrypto.com. ProtonCrypto.com, ProtonCrypto.com, it's free. Cool. Now let's dive into it. What's causing crypto prices to go up? And the for those watching on the YouTube, I'm going to walk through the article that explains my point of view on why crypto prices are going up for those listening in podcast land. Um, I'll just talk to the charts as they come up. But what I've seen floating across like crypto Twitter, Reddit, and like a lot of the talking heads that I follow on Substack is this super bullish narrative that uh, we didn't have in 2022, at least not in qu- the fourth quarter. 
quoting some some of the more prominent players, uh, quote, Bitcoin Magazine Pro 127.23. On-chain cyclical indicators are currently pointing to a classic bottom, right? Bankless 123.23. This rally is different. Coin Metrics 191. The digital asset market has seen a remarkable rebound, right? So everybody we follow, everybody who talks about crypto, all the experts in crypto are saying, oh gosh, this rally's different. Um, now's the time to buy. And I mean, technically through the end of January 2023, they were right. Year to date 2023 through the end of January, uh, chances are you probably read an article or a tweet or some been on some Reddit thread that has said, this time it's different. We are on the cusp of generational wealth. We'll never see ETH below $1,000 in our lifetime. Why not celebrate? I mean, I pulled up, uh, I've, I've pulled up, it's, co- it's called Coin Metrics CMBI Total Market Series Sector Index January 2023. They basically take hundreds of crypto tokens, aggregate them into various uh, sector indexes like Metaverse, Smart Contract Platform, IT, Decentralized Finance, Blockchain Utilities, Specialized Coins, etc., etc. And then they track the performance of that index um, in the aggregate. And what they found, like through January 2023... Every index is on a rip. Every index. It's all up and to the right. The average, or sorry, the median return on the CMBI total market index for January 2023, year to date, is 40%. 40%. That means if you invested a dollar in crypto in any one of these indexes uh, in January 1st or January 2nd, 2023, it would be worth a dollar for today. If you invested in like the metaverse group of funds it would be worth uh more like 59 percent. that's one dollar 60 cents today for every dollar invested i was looking at um i was looking at what is it mana mana is the crypto token for decentraland it's up 111 percent year to date granted it was down 90 percent in 2022 but setting that aside every token has been up and to the right and the CMBI total market index series through January 2023, like reaffirms its position. So if every, if maybe the pundits are right, maybe the social media experts, the individuals, the talking heads we look to for guidance are right. Maybe this time it is different, right? Let's keep going. Let's keep going, right? Um, and I'm going to walk you through why. I'm going to walk you through the most common topics that crypto experts and social media follow, uh, social media influencers usually point to when justifying the upward momentum that we've experienced over the past, uh, at least through January 2023. So these are the talking points that people say when they're trying to explain why crypto prices have been up and to the right in the month of January, right? So if you look at my t- at my screen, it's a big green set of boxes. It's all like positive returns. Here are the reasons why. And chances are you've heard some form or fashion of this. So the first theme is it's, it's usually something along the lines of like softening macroeconomic headwinds. Softening macroeconomic headwinds. Like what does that even mean? Like in plain English, right? Um, it, it's crazy how many like crypto people became like uh, economists um, in 2022. 
it's really just a fancy way of saying that the market believes that the Federal Reserve, this is Jerome Powell, is uh, comfortable accepting that inflation has eased. More specifically, the market, via the words and the actions of the Federal Reserve, which is really Jerome Powell, all collectively believe that the worst is behind us. And the worst means inflation. Uh, remember in 2022, like core CPI was like 8% year over year, right? Inflation's still pretty bad. Eggs are expensive, chicken's expensive, so on and so forth. But the rate of inflation is going down and it's decelerating. So if you look at year over year, like, I don't know, uh, April, May 2022, core inflation, 8%. Uh, what we see now is like core inflation, 5 or 6%. So the impact of that is the federal funds rate, which is a throttle that the Federal Reserve uses to control uh, to control interest rates. Basically, they raise it. It makes everything more expensive. That reduces spending. When people spend less, the cost of goods go down. Inflation goes down. And that's what lowers inflation, right? So if you imagine that uh, the Federal Reserve and Jerome Powell have like this sledgehammer, and they can hammer the economy with it to decrease inflation by making everything expensive. That is the federal funds rate. Federal funds rate in 2021 was 0%. Now it's now, now it's like 4 point, upper bound is 4.5%. This is like the fastest growth that we've experienced in like modern history. But now the market says, hey, that's all behind us. We're increasing at a slow and more predictable rate. And eventually... Jerome Powell and all the economists and talking heads will see inflation normalize at a steady state of 2 or 3%. And when that happens, the money printer is going to get turned back on. We're going to be on a rip, right? So how do they know this is true? How do economists know that the U.S. Federal Reserve is comfortable accepting that inflation is ease? Like, how do they know that? Like, Jerome Powell's never said that, right? So they look at they look at charts and they quantify like it's called like crossover metrics. And I've written about this in the past with respect to uh, like short term treasury yields offering higher short term treasury notes offering a higher yield than the long term counterpart. And when that happens, that's the flight to safety. And that could and that inversion means like a recession. Right. So economists take this data and they create something called the two-year treasury yield and federal funds rate, target rate inversion. And that's what I have displayed right now. There's two charts. Chart number one, um, x-axis is time, y-axis is the U.S. government two-year treasury yield. That's uh, the black line. And the blue line is the federal funds rate, target rate, upper bound. And what economists point to when like trying to quantify or predict um, whether inflation has eased or will ease is they look at the inver- they look at the uh, crossover of these two metrics specifically when the two year treasury yield uh, crosses below the upper bound of the federal funds rate. What usually happens are periods of growth, and I pulled up a chart from LPL Research that outlines this. 
LPL Research, these guys are amazing. You should subscribe to them. All their content's free. I don't know why. I would pay for it. It's so good. LPL Research, like, looked at the performance of the U.S. stock market, specifically the S&P 500, after the two-year Treasury yield crosses below the Fed Fund's target range upper bound. Okay? So, when the Treasury yield crosses below the Fed Fund's rate target upper bound, what happens to the S&P 500 one month, three months, six months, and 12 months after, right? Historically, 80% of the time, performance has been positive. The median return on the S&P 500 12 months after this crossover is 22%. 22%. That's going to be huge for... Uh, for like crypto assets because they really run as like a high beta tech stock. But based on this historical data, economists and and really like financial institutions say, hey, the two-year treasury yield, it's crossed below the upper bound of the Fed's funds, right? This is an indicator that markets are improving and the worst is behind us. And look at the historical performance of the S&P 500 after this event occurs. It's gangbusters, right? So that is reason number one why people think uh, why many crypto enthusiasts, crypto Twitter and Reddit think that crypto prices have been going up in 2023 is because of the softening macroeconomic headwinds via the U.S. Federal Reserve. But, 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 is this really like an explanation? Or is this another random walk led by economists attempting to explain the most recent round of rational exuberance? I'm a huge fan of the book Rational Exuberance. Everybody should read it. Let's look at the show notes. So, point number one, economic, macroeconomic headwind softening. Jerome Powell is easing up. All right, point number two. Why are crypto prices going up in 2023? Okay, another popular theme is uh, the deleveraging within the DeFi ecosystem. Okay, so we saw this in TradFi, GME, Bed Bath & Beyond. It's no different in in the crypto ecosystem, and it's caught a lot of attention. So let's look at the data and be careful uh, in understanding whether it's fact or fiction. Okay, so... Deleverage within the DeFi ecosystem. Like, what does that actually mean? All right, so there is a theme in DeFi that leverage drives price action, okay? And when I say the words drives price action, what we mean is a squeeze. You probably heard of the term short squeeze or maybe even like a long liquidation. That is what drives price action that is the leverage driving price actions so i have an example we'll walk through it together let's say you're let's say you're bullish on eth okay you think ETH's gonna go to the moon in 2023 so you want to take advantage of this belief that ETH's gonna be a killer this year so you go leverage long on it okay Leverage long means you go to platforms like GMX if you want um, no KYC or KuCoin or Binance if you want to do KYC. And you buy a futures contract that gives you upside exposure 
two ETH and you can go like leverage one to like 1000 times depending on what the platform is you're using. The downside is like the liquidation threshold on a 1000 times leverage position is literally like 2%. Like a 2% swing in the price movement will liquidate your principal and uh, subject to like all loss. Okay. So when, when your leverage long position is liquidated, what, what does that actually mean? Okay. So let's play it out. The price of uh, ETH, you think it's going to go up, so you go a 1,000 times leverage long on it, okay? The price goes down. The price goes down, and you have a margin call, and your position is liquidated. It's liquidated by a market sell. That's the opposite of what the leverage long position is. A market sell means that you're selling the crypto assets you bought but now at a lower price, right? Because you're selling the assets you bought at a lower price, that causes downward pressure on the asset, which triggers a new wave of liquidations, and the cycle a cycle repeats. This is a long squeeze, okay? Now, what you're probably more familiar with um, from like the GME era is like a short liquidation or short squeeze. All right, this is where you think that the price of an uh, an asset like, I don't know, ETH or Bitcoin is going to go down. So you buy a leveraged short future contract, right? So what happens in that scenario, the price will go up, meaning you're wrong, and your position is liquidated by a market buy, right? So remember, in like a short position, you don't actually own the crypto or the stock that you're buying. You just you just borrow it from someone, right? But now the challenge is you're out of the money and you have to uh, you have to pay back the um, the the ETH or Bitcoin that you borrowed. So you have to go into the market and buy it, but now it's at a higher price than what you borrowed it for, right? You borrowed it at one, you have to buy it back at one fifty. That market buy causes upward pressure, which triggers a new wave of liquidation, and the cycle repeats. This is uh, it's a popular narrative for sure, and there's certainly some truth to it. And I even put an example of how this happened in um, in 2023 February with optimism. I'm going to pull up my tweet here, and what you can see is uh, optimism's been on a rip to my surprise in 2023 on. February 2, 23, it was up 45% in the past 22 out, 24 hours. And I'm going to pull up the chart. And you can see I have four arrows on the screen, right? If you look at the far most on the right-hand side, when, when uh, OP moved from 290 to 310, that liquidated about 2,000 short positions, right? That's the short squeeze part. When OP dropped from 230 to 210, that liquidated about, wow, 25,000 long positions, right? And this is all in the matter of 24 hours, so both sides got wrecked on this trade. So that is what happens. Uh, that is what happens in a leveraged position. And the thesis behind... Those who are saying this time it's different is that 
the open interest, which is the aggregate dollar value of all outstanding futures contracts, I'm looking at ETH specifically, is at um, is at a one-year low, right? You can see that open interest on 1121 is 13 billion, and on 123 it's six billion. So, like uh, crypto bulls, ETH bulls are saying, "Hey, look, there's no leverage in the market now. It all got wiped out uh, from FTX, from Terra Luna." And and here's they double this on to make it um, a little more compelling is the I call I call it the this time it's different camp. They also look at the percentage of total assets that are in stable coins versus like actual um, actual like protocol tokens, utility tokens, right? And what we can see, I pulled this from I pulled this from Nansen Pro. Uh, it's called Smart Money Stablecoin versus Altcoins, and we can see uh, by February 9, twenty three, about twenty seven percent of all holdings are in stablecoins, is USDC, USDT, um, and the like. But you compare that to Jan to July. No, when was the bull run? July August twenty twenty one. Stablecoin utilization dropped from 30% to 10%. So uh, individuals saying, hey, look, during the last DeFi cycle, there was a ton of leverage, $13 billion of open interest. There was only 10% of the aggregate holdings in stablecoins. But now, now, fast forward to February 2023, 27% of the total holdings in stablecoins and there's less than half of the open interest from the last bull cycle, only $6 billion, right? You put all that together, put all that together, and that is reason number two on why people think that this time it's different. There is the DeFi ecosystem has been deleveraged, right? Less open interest, more stablecoin holdings. Again, again, you have to you have to ask yourself objectively, like this is a convenient explanation, but... um. Is the reduction in open interest combined with this dry powder that's sitting in the sideline really a bottom signal? Or is it just another narrative that individuals are using to justify investor sentiment? Okay, now we move on to number three. Topic three, um, why are crypto prices going up? This is the third reason that people that many people used to justify the current price action within the crypto ecosystem for January 2023, right? And it's called reduced volatility. And what they're actually looking at is the implied volatility of assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum. I'm going to show you Bitcoin first and Ethereum, then I'll walk through an example. So if you look at, uh, this is just for one, pro, this is just for one exchange, Darabit. I pulled it up from glassnode.com. It looks at, the implied volatility of Bitcoin uh, from March 2021 to now, okay? And Bitcoin implied volatility is, has always been kind of high. I mean, I think even as it is today, it's, it's pretty wild. And I'll go into an example. But implied volatility uh, in May 2021 was about 150%. It averaged between like 75 and 150 and then it, dropped and went back up to i don't know 125 140 in may in may june july 2022 and then now it dropped to uh like record low of 
I don't know, 30%, 30% in, uh, in February 2023. So implied volatility for Bitcoin has dropped from 130% to 30%, right? And a similar story with Ethereum is implied volatility for ETH the asset is at about 62% on February 7th, 2023, compared to like 220% um, May 2021. So, okay, implied volatility, assets are less volatile, right? Okay, I guess that's good. But like, what does that mean? Like, how is how is a less volatile asset as measured by implied volatility conducive to growth in the broader crypto ecosystem like when someone says to you the reason crypto prices are going up is because uh the asset is more stable implied volatility is lower right you should take the super contrarian point of view and say how why what do you mean explain it to me right here's how it works Implied volatility, I and you should do this, you should ask them, because if they don't know to answer this, then you know they're just making it up and just regurgitating whatever the, hell, whatever the hell they heard on crypto Twitter, right? So let's walk through like what IV is and go through an example. Implied volatility, IV for short, is um, expressed as a percentage of the crypto price or asset, and it is the predicted one standard deviation move over a one-year period, okay? So very briefly... Uh, if you didn't pay attention in stats, that's okay. What implied volatility does, it predicts Ethereum's price within one standard deviation of its current spot price 68% of the time in the upcoming 12 months, right? It th- that's part one. And then you have two standard deviations is 95% and three standard deviations is 99%. So let's let's look at an example, right? So ETH is around $1,500 right now. It has an implied volatility of 60%, okay? And if we focus on one standard deviation of movement, what that tells us is the consensus in the marketplace is that there is a 68% chance that... The price of Ethereum will be between $930 and $2,430 within the next 365 days, right? And you can do the math behind this. You can, um, uh, you can, when you do the math, you'll see that one standard deviation to the left is what, 30. 34% and that's between 930 and 1500 and then 34% is between 1500 and 2400 right you could take this and expand it by definition this also means that there's only a 32% chance that eth will be outside of this range right so on the lower end of the bell curve there's a 16% chance that eth will be below $930 12 months from now. And there's a 16% chance that ETH will be above $2,430 from now, right? So if you were to, if you were to like, if you're a technical analyst, you would say, knowing the probability of 
an underlying asset within a certain price range is an important indicator when you're trying to determine what options to buy and or sell, right? It creates a stability in that, okay, my I'm going to buy an out-of-the-money option. Ethereum is trading 1500 today. I'm going to buy an out-of-the-money option that, that I'm bullish on to maybe $2,000. I'm willing to pay the premium, premium on that because I believe that the implied volatility as it stands today gives me at least a 32-34% chance that ETH will be above 1500 um, within the next 365 days, and I can capture that by the appreciation of the premium of the option, or the option can actually be in the money when it's greater than $2,000, and then I can sell that, or I can buy the actual underlying asset, right? Conversely, you can go short on it in the same manner. So... That's ETH at 60%. Now, if you do this math and you play it out, on May 2021, the implied volatility on ETH was 220%. So that means, uh, and also the spot price was $4,100. So this means that, again, same math, one standard deviation, the market believes with 68% confidence that ETH will trade between an upper bound of 13000 and a lower bound of negative 4900 Right? So... What good is that? Okay, ETH is going to be somewhere between zero and thirteen thousand dollars with the sixty-eight percent confidence, with with a sixty-eight percent degree of confidence in the next twenty sixty-five days. Nobody can use that for any like long-term price movement. I mean, maybe you could like buy very short, like um, one-day expiry options, uh, if if you were to buy like dated options, or you could buy like highly leveraged long and or short positions because the implied volatility might justify it, but um, it's not good for long-term price action. So because because the volatility of ETH asset is lower, people can, uh, technical analysts, can look at this and say, hey, ETH has more price stability than it did one year ago, which is better for the asset when trying to exercise uh, long and or short options. Now, Technical analysts will work with technical chartists to formulate the fourth and final point of view as to why Ethereum prices have been going up in 2023, right? And it's generally called a lower cost basis, and and it's an extension of golden crossovers, okay? And it's really like Nostradamus in like the way they do this, dude. So the way it works out is like technical analysts say, hey, lower volatility equals greater predictability of the asset's future price range. This is like Ethereum or it could be Bitcoin, right? Then they overlay with a series of crossover and oscillator metrics to like quantify potential bottoms. So we're going to go through a couple uh, number one is like the Mayer multiple, and this is where you take the uh, 200-day moving average of Ethereum, and then you divide it by its current spot price. And then if this, if that result is less than 0.08, it's a buy signal, and if the result is greater than 2.4, it's um, it's a sell signal. That's an oscillator metric. Let's see if I can pull this up, actually. That way you guys can see what I'm talking about. I might. 
Yeah, I'm looking. Okay, for those uh, listening, I pulled up Glassnode Studio that has the mayor multiple. So you can see x x axis is time, y axis is value, spot price of ETH. But at the bot um, at the bottom, you see an x a, a green line and a red line, right? The mayor multiple represents overbought conditions at two greater than two point four, which was July May twenty twenty one. All right, good timing, and then oversold conditions as the value was less than 0.08, 0.8 in July 2022. So look at the price action. ETH price when ETH price on May 2021 was three thousand dollars. May or multiple indicated an overbought condition. So at this point, if you were a chartist, you would have dumped your position. Yeah, that's yeah, that's retrospective though. And then may or multiple indicated an oversold position when ETH was at around one thousand uh, in July twenty twenty two, right? So you can it's an oscillator because it represents an upper and lower bound. And this chart is free on Glassnode if you want to check it out. So Chartist will use that in addition to like what I call golden crossover metrics. This is golden crossover metrics are where you take like the moving averages of a short-term and long-term metric, like 50-day daily moving average, 100-day daily moving average, 100-day daily moving average, 200-day daily moving average. If like the shorter one is greater than the longer one, that uh, that represents a buy signal, and you can even do you can even extend it by taking the spot price and then comparing that against the 50, 100, 200 day daily moving average to indicate potential buy signals. I put this in here because Bitcoin Magazine Pro loves using uh, it's a great magazine. I read them all the time, and they are like all about daily moving averages. And I thought it'd be interesting to point out. And you can see I I pulled up a chart that has, um. We'll look at the the bottom right one. It's Bitcoin price um, above daily move one hundred day daily moving average. So this one compares the spot price of Bitcoin on two three twenty twenty three versus the one hundred day daily moving average, and you can see the spot price is nineteen thousand. The 100 daily moving average is 17,000. Since the spot price is greater than the 100 daily moving average, this is an indicator of a buy signal, right? So, technical analysts, technical chartists will look at like the daily moving averages, these oscillator metrics with the mayor multiple, they'll look at the um, at the uh, uh, implied volatility, and they'll try to put this all together and say, ah, now we're now we have a composition of metrics that represents uh, buy signals, right? There's one more that people like technical analysts like to use, and, and I'm bringing all of this up because to, to show how kind of crazy this gets, and I think there's a much easier way to do this um, is another metric is called the realized price index. Realized price index takes the purchase value of Bitcoin or Ethereum in a time window and divides it by the number of bitcoin or eth tokens in that circulation that gives you an average cost basis if the average cost basis is greater is less than the spot price that means people are profitable and uh it's a bullish signal so i'm loading up the realized price charts for bitcoin it also exists for ethereum 
where you can see x-axis is time, y-axis is price. The uh, realized price on Feb 3, 2023 is 19000 The spot price is 22000 This means that the at this point in time, uh, the average, at this point in time, uh, the cohorts of buyers within Bitcoin, these are the short-term holders, the long-term holders, and the new holders, are all in the aggregate profitable they've all bought bitcoin on average for nineteen thousand dollars and the spot price right now is twenty three thousand dollars that is a profitable trade so you people use like a ton of analytics tools to get this on-chain data alpha and uh, i actually put together a table for free that you can like see that says hey what are all the technical indicators for bitcoin across the mayor multiple the 50-day daily moving average the 100-day daily moving average the 200-day daily moving average as well as the realized price like what does it all tell you and it says of course all the signals point to bull mayor multiples bullish 50s bullish 100s bullish 200s bullish realized price was neutral to bullish and i put neutral just to be conservative but does this mean anything like these metrics does it actually signify does it explain why these price assets why Crypto assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum have seen such a depreciation over the past 30 days, right? People are spending a lot of money to get this type of alpha, right? Is that why? So here's my point of view. If you go to like Substack, go to Crypto Twitter, go to Reddit, you're going to see that all of the uh, crypto experts point to Implied volatility, macroeconomic headwinds, uh, lower cost basis, golden crossover. They point to all of this as buy signals. Buy, buy, buy. Now's the time to buy, right? And you can go on and on because I was playing around with this. Token Terminal, which I use for financial metrics, they have 17 financial metrics across like 30 crypto assets. Glassnode, which we use to get the mayor multiple, as an on-chain metrics catalog of over 200 KPIs. And CoinMetrics has the Glassnode catalog, but for 3,000 crypto assets. All right. There's enough on-chain, like, alpha. There's enough on-chain analysis to, like, reaffirm whatever narrative du jour or of whatever asset or social media fault influencer that, that you follow. I mean, there's so much information with respect to KPIs and on-chain metrics catalogs, that it becomes, I don't know, I think too much, right? But if you persisted and you said, wow, all of these on-chain indicators, these influencers, they're right, they're right. All the technical indicators, now is the time to buy, right? You listen to them. And if you listen to them on like January 2nd, uh, you would actually see a buy now theme. I've pulled up a chart that has the year to date performance of ETH, BTC, Sol, LDO, and Optimism all are up in, uh, through January 31st, 2023. And what you'll see all are up and to the right. Optimism's up uh, two, 223%, right? LDO's up 89%. Solana's up 
50%, ETH up 40%, BTC is up 37%, S&P is up 6%, right? So if you're like a retail trader, you see this and it's the end of January, you're like, oh gosh, what? I don't want to miss this, right? Now is the time. Everybody's saying so. This rally is different. We have reached the bottom. Crypto assets will never be this cheap in our lifetime. I missed the last bull run. I won't miss this one, right? You've heard all of the excuses. So on 129, on 130, like these poor retail traders, they ape in and boom, what happens? 11 days after the hype related to this time it's different. There's new set of fundamentals. Jerome Powell is going to ease the quantitative tightening that's pushing up risk-free asset prices and pushing down risk-on asset prices, right? All of like the talk tracks that you've heard on 129, 130, 131 that point to a bullish signal. If you bought crypto on 131 and you held it to now 212, you'll see that these assets that were up 20 to 50% are now down 10 to 20%, right? Uh, yeah, S&P is down 1%, but Optimism is down 20%, Solana is down 20%, it's down 10%, Bitcoin's down 7%, it goes on and on, right? So, I mean, I feel bad for the retail trader because they see all of these articles and YouTubers talking about now this time's different. They ape in on like the absolute peak. And what happens? They're down 1% to 20%. Retail traders who listen to the herd, bought to the technical analysis, all of the oscillators, the moving averages, the volatility narratives, the Fed soft landing... At, at the highest point in time when the herd was the loudest was exactly the wrong time to buy, right? So that leads me to my next point. Are technical indicators useless, right? I, I came from traditional finance and uh, they would say no, right? They would say no. I mean, the challenge is not that technical indicators are useless. I don't think they are useless, but they're retrospective, right? They, uh, it's a quantification of past performance in an attempt to predict future outcomes. And what I mean by that is you can look at like what good is the 50-day daily moving average crossing over the 200-day daily moving average on 130 if we're looking at price action on 1-2 trying to predict what to do next, right? Daily moving average are all retrospective and reflect the performance of, reflect the price movement of an asset after it's happened, right? It's an average of historical performance. Implied volatility, I mean, okay, it's cool that I can say with 68% confidence that Ethereum is going to be somewhere between 900 and 2400, but like that doesn't fill me with confidence in really the absolute direction of the asset, right? Same with like the the open interest, a 50% reduction in open interest sounds nice, but like there's still $6 billion of open interest. This is leverage in the futures market. And even if you account for like the increased supply of capital deployed to stable coins, the stable coin capital allocation just runs like the inverse of ETH price action. It doesn't really mean anything. All it says is that 
ETH prices go up, stablecoin holdings go down. ETH prices go down, stablecoin holdings go up. That's all it means. That's all it means, right? And even if you were to believe all of these indicators are true, like I, I, genu- I generally agree that they do that do reflect the reality of the market. What what these indicators and oscillators and like technical analyses don't don't account for is I call it the depth and duration. Oscillators and indicators and charts can like predict the direction of a chart, but it can't tell you it can predict the direction of an asset. It can say like Bitcoin's going up, Ethereum's going up, Dogecoin's going up, etc. But what it doesn't tell you is how high Bitcoin goes or how high Ethereum goes, right? And that is the problem when you're dealing with out of the money options or like leveraged futures contracts, right? I call this depth because ultimately what you're trying to figure out is how high or low will the target asset appreciate relative to your like uh, your your target, right? So Cool, 50-day moving average crossing uh, above the 200-day moving average. This uh, mayor multiple, like being in a buy ter- a buy signal, great, cool, buy it. But how high will Bitcoin or Ethereum go based on that signal? It doesn't tell you that. The signals don't tell you the depth, nor do they tell you the duration. And this is why options are such a bad, a bad play for most traders. You could be right about the direction of a trade. You can say, I predict Ethereum's going to go up. And then you could be right that Ethereum's going to go up. But what you don't know is when Ethereum's going to go up. Is Ethereum going to go up next week? Is it going to go up next month? Is it going to go down for 10% in the next 30 days, then up 80% in the next, you know, next 200? This is called duration. And how long will that price action last before the asset reverts to its mean? Reversion to mean is a known, measurable, and like widely accepted like theme in that whatever asset you're buying these extreme mis extreme misalignment of pricing on the bull and bear side ultimately converge to a reversion to the main right and you can see this with the S&P 500 you can see this with the P ratio you can see this with the overall crypto you can pick any crypto asset they all revert to the main right and this is a problem with duration you say okay i i think crypto's going to go i think bitcoin's going to go up to one to 10,000 but you don't know when it's going to go up and you don't know how long it will be at 10,000 before it goes back down this is why if you're going to trade options um, I wouldn't trade options but if you're going to trade options it's important that you don't only have a point of view on the direction of the asset but you also have a point of view on how long the asset will appreciate before reverting to the mean and what the depth of the appreciation will be, whether it's going to go up 5%, 10% or 20%, right? So you put all this together and ultimately, like I've concluded that what's causing crypto prices to go up, it's really none of the stuff that I've looked at. I mean, I think the technical analyses and the charts and the oscillators and the, and the moving averages all like are kind of good to know. But they, but it's a result of the price action. It's not what's causing the price action. A fifty-day moving average crossing over a two hundred-day moving average is not is the outcome of price action, right? What I theorize is what's causing prices to go up. What's causing the reason crypto prices is going up is because crypto prices are highly correlated to U.S. equities. 
And crypto enthusiasts hate reading, hate saying this, hate acknowledging it. And like, I catch a lot of shit for saying it, but it's true, right? And I said, this is a crypto enthusiast. I have mined Bitcoin. I have an Ethereum node. I believe Ethereum is going to be the settlement layer for the world's next generation of financial applications. I think Bitcoin is going to be a store of value. I think it has the potential to be a the peer-to-peer system for a permissionless network of of like payments that have its own like uh, currency. I, I buy into everything the Bitcoin standard says. I love it, but I also acknowledge that for now. Bitcoin is highly positively correlated to the performance of the S&P 500. And this is not like a hot take that I'm just pulling out of thin air. It's true. I if I pull this from the block research, it's it's Bitcoin's uh it's called the Pearson correlation between BTC uh Nasdaq 100, the S&P 500 and gold. And let me set this up. What you'll see is that as of February 2023, Bitcoin runs at a 0.91% correlation to um, the S to the NASDAQ 100 and about like a 0.9 correlation. This is out of one to uh, the S&P 500. In fact, for like the past three years, Bitcoin has been highly positively correlated to uh, the performance of the uh, equities market. In fact, the only time when Bitcoin became decoupled from the performance of the S&P 500 was during the FTX collapse uh, last year when it actually did worse than the S&P 500, which is what you see in this chart for the um, for November. I hate to break it to everybody who's a crypto enthusiast, but like this is the reality, right? The crypto narrative of Bitcoin as a hedge against fiat currency debasement, I, I mean, this is straight out of the Bitcoin standard, has been proven to be wrong, at least for now. And again, this is for now. I don't think it'll be this way forever. But if you're going to buy crypto assets, you got to know the correlation between the broader uh, U.S. equities market because it, they, crypto assets like Bitcoin are really just treated as a high beta tech stock, right? And that's what I mean. I'm not saying that rising equity prices are causing crypto prices like Bitcoin to go up. I'm saying that crypto assets like Bitcoin behave like a high beta tech stock. High beta tech stocks have a high volatility, usually measured as over one, and as such, have a high correlation to the market. So when, uh, when the for example, I think like Tesla is a high beta tech stock, right? So when the market goes up, Tesla goes really up. But when the market goes down, Tesla goes really down. It's the same way with Bitcoin. That's why when you saw Bitcoin go up 30% in 2023, the S&P 500 went up 37% in 2023, right? That's the truth. And here's the data. I pulled the correlation matrix from, uh, from what's this sort Crypto Watch. Uh, you guys should definitely check this out. Uh, it shows the correlation between Bitcoin, Ethereum, Optimism, Lido, and Sol. And you can see uh, all values above zero are highly correlated. But Bitcoin to ETH is the highest correlation. So remember... Bitcoin has a 0.9 correlation out of one to price movement of the S&P 500. Ethereum has a 0.9 correlation to Bitcoin, right? 
Solana has a 0.73 correlation to Bitcoin. Moreover, the confidence interval or the confidence level for the correlation is 95%. So we're saying that we're 95% confident that the price action of Ethereum is highly correlated with the price action of Bitcoin, which is highly correlated with the price action of the S&P 500, right? Um, and again, what I'm saying is that the data suggests that the market performance of ETH, Sol, Lido, Optimism has a strong positive correlation to the market performance of Bitcoin, right? In fact, this I, this pissed off a lot of ETH people, and I, I hate to do it to you, but it's true, and I say this as an ETH advocate for all the reasons I've described earlier. I believe that Ethereum's proof-of-stake migration has had zero impact, zero impact on the price action of ETH, right? There's been a ton of talk around net issuance reduction, which is true, the elimination of sell pressure, which is true. Credible neutrality, I don't know, jurors out on that. Perma yield with staking derivatives, okay, I accept that. But all of that led to like price predictions in 2022 of ETH to be $10,000. I mean, it was insane. They were all wrong. Every single person who said that was wrong. And I took the contrarian point of view in 2022 and predicted ETH to be at 1200 And unfortunately, I was right. And the reason I was right is because ETH, the asset, is highly correlated to Bitcoin, which is highly correlated to the S&P 500. In fact, if you look at this chart I pulled up, it's the performance of ETH versus the SPY as of um, 9.15. That's when proof-of-stake proof migration happened. And what you can see is... Um, Light blue is SPY, dark blue is uh, ETH. When the S&P goes up, Ethereum goes up. When the S&P goes down, the Ethereum, uh, Ethereum goes down. And again, the only deviation in this movement was during the FTX crash when Ethereum performed worse than the broader S&P market, S&P 500. So we put this all together. And we have to accept that um, Ethereum has the potential to create an open, permissionless, trustless financial ecosystem where the opportunity to participate in market-making activities, acting as a lender, doing all the things that you can't really do in traditional finance, that's going to happen in Ethereum. I believe all that to be true. But at the same time, we must must acknowledge that the price of Ethereum and the price of Bitcoin is really a reflection of the overall market sentiment of the U.S. equities, right? And that, that's just the truth. The correlation's there. So what do we do? Do we just say, to hell with this? And do we just abandon this whole crypto experiment and buy S&P 5, buy SPY or QQQ? No, absolutely not. And the reason we don't is because correlation, correlation quantifies the relationship and price movement. It does not measure the depth or nominal movement of the asset itself. And what I mean by that is we saw 
from January 1st to January 2023, a 7% increase in the spot price of the SPY, right? But in that same time frame, we saw a 40% increase in Bitcoin, a 37% increase in ETH, an 84% increase in Sol, a 220% increase in Ethereum, right? So these assets are going up at a much more dramatic velocity than the underlying uh, S&P 500 index. Specifically, we can conclude that when U.S. equity prices go up by some wide percentage, highly positive, positively correlated crypto assets like BTC, ETH, etc. will increase proportionally by Y percent times an unknown X, right? This is the alpha. I think if you want to get rich in crypto, this is what you got to do. Like pick, high, this is what I'm doing. You pick high beta, you pick highly correlated crypto assets that are correlated to the S&P 500. And then you just buy them, right? And you realize and you accept that until there's some dramatic departure that decouples the price movement of ETH, Bitcoin, Solana, OP, etc. from the underlying S&P 500, you just got to ride the trade and make money, right? We're all here to get paid. So if U.S. equities go up by Y, crypto assets will go up proportionally by Y times some unknown X. Right, and this this is playing out exactly as we predicted for BTC, ETH, Solana, Optimism, any crypto asset, and you can see this more. You can see this. Um, I'll pull this chart up again just to like hammer it home. Look what happened when crypto asset. Look what happened when the S and P five hundred went down on two three twenty three to two eleven twenty three. Right. I have uh, SPY, ETH, BTC, Solana, LDO, Optimism. SPY goes down 1%. Optimism goes down 20%. Solana goes down 18%. ETH goes down 9%. Bitcoin goes down 7%, right? Why? It's because it's highly correlated to the stock market, okay? So why are crypto prices going up? It's because of their high correlation with with the broad basket of U.S. equities as measured by the NASDAQ 100 and the S&P 500, right? All these other technical indicators, they're good to know, informational, but like I, I wouldn't lose any sleep over it, right? So how do you make money off this? Here's, here's the trades. Do your own research, of course. But if you accept what I believe to be true, and you should because data says so, um, idea one is I would trade high correlation asset pairs. So Maybe you're not like an altruist or a purist in the crypto ecosystem. You you don't really care like which layer one's going to emerge as the winner, nor do you care like if the future of DeFi is a multi-chain world or a monolithic one, or like a chain of chains like Cosmos or like Arbit or Ethereum's like layer two, layer three, right? You don't care. You just want to get paid in crypto. So I think the path of least resistance would be to buy base layer crypto assets that, that that have the highest positive correlation with BTC and the lowest fully diluted market cap, right? And what I mean by that is like you can just buy BTC and hold it. Kathy Woods thinks Bitcoin's going to be 1.5 million by 2030. That's amazing. I hope she is. Be a freaking billionaire. But in the absence of that, you could buy ETH Solana even near tokens, right? The challenge is, uh, well, that because the reality is that those tokens are highly correlated to Bitcoin, and Bitcoin's highly correlated to the S&P 500. You just got to realize that um, this is not a risk-free trade, because 
if there's some underlying problem with the protocol that uh, with the protocol that corresponds to the token you've bought, it's going to have an outsized impact negatively on the performance of the crypto asset. Like for example, Solana had like ten blackouts last year. I think if Solana has ten blackouts this year in 2023, we're going to see negative price action on at the SOL token, even if it's highly correlated with um with uh bitcoin i'd i'm personally bullish on like near and solana uh just as a proxy of ethereum and bitcoin performance right so maybe you buy eth put it to ave provide get some collateral out of it get usdc use the usdc to buy some solar near tokens right and then you uh sit back and wait right if you have a day job, that might be the easiest thing to do, right? But I, idea too is you could also just trade around emerging interests. Um, if you follow like crypto Twitter, crypto Reddit, you'll see like I, I see four four themes emerging in 2023. Number one is liquid staking derivatives. I think this is especially true after uh, the SEC's like latest attack on Kraken. They fined Kraken thirty million dollars, banned Kraken from um, it's from. Kraken's depositors buying staked Ethereum. I think this is going to be a bull thesis for like uh, decentralized liquid staking derivatives like Lido, Rocket Pool, Stakewise, especially on the backdrop of the uh, staking unlocks that's going to happen in, I think, Q2 2023, right? So I think this is a Shanghai upgrade, right? So if you're bullish on liquid staking derivatives like Ethereum staking in general, Maybe you just buy the, you trade around the, the narrative of liquid staking, right? Because if ETH goes up, the LSD tokens associated with ETH, like Lido, Rocket Pool, Stakewise, will also go up. It's not so much interesting to me, but I, I know a lot of people are really interested in this. So that's part one. Uh, number two is you could also, and this is like what I'm interested in, is invest in real world assets. So real world assets, these are like, um, imagine you owned a board ape or a high-end nft and you want to use it as collateral to finance a single family rental in mobile alabama that sounds insane but it's not because it actually happens now this is an emerging area of interest there's a couple of protocols offering this clearpool centrifuge maple finance home realty goldfinch i think teller finance is doing this usdc homes there, there's an abundance of them and this didn't exist 12 months ago so if you are bullish on using on-chain capital to invest in off-chain real-world assets, whether it's an apartment complex in Mobile, Alabama, or a O'Reilly Auto, O'Reilly Auto Parts uh, from a maker lending vault, you should invest in real-world assets. And this is an area I'm extremely bullish in because I believe in the use case. And I know there's a high correlation with ETH, which is highly correlated to Bitcoin, which is highly correlated to the S&P 500, right? Moreover, you could also trade layer two ecosystems. So I think we can collectively agree that Ethereum will only succeed. Ethereum will only succeed uh, with the adoption of layer twos, right? Most users have been pushed off of L1, can't afford it, right? Paying three, five, ten, twenty dollars for a transaction. No way for most crypto users post twenty twenty are going to do that. 
they've all been pushed to layer twos like Arbitrum, Optimism, uh, Polygon Sidechain, which is going to be a ZK EVM equivalent soon, Loopring, maybe, and ZK Sync when it comes out, right? You could trade layer two tokens associated with this. Uh, there's some like lockups. I prob- I'm personally going to wait for the RB coin. I think, um, uh, I think the perpetual derivatives platforms that are on Arbitrum, like GMX, are going to be a differentiator for layer twos. So I'm personally bullish on op- on Arbitrum when the token launches, as well as Polygon Matic when it converts to a uh, a zk EVM layer two and not a sidechain, right? Number four, you can invest in undercollateralized lending platforms. This is super new, super new. It didn't exist 12 months ago. These these are platforms where you can, um, it's called efficient use of capital, but you can essentially take out loans where the loan to value is greater than 100%. I wrote an article about this. It's called on, on how to do this with sentiment. There's also Notional. There's a Gearbox, right? It's very new, but I think this is going to be the next wave of alpha for 2023. Um so if you are so like for example in Ave, if you you provide one ETH as collateral, you can only take out like what um, 0.7 ETH max, and you'll be liquidated when like the mm, health factor is like 1.2, right? So when either the ass when either the collateral when either the collateral of the loan is about 1.2, that's um that happens when usually the collateral goes down. Or the loan value goes up, right? This happens when you're not buying a stable coin. You'll be automatically liquidated, right? So you you take one ETH and you borrow like, I don't know, 5, 0.5 ETH of USDC, right? Undercollateralized lending means you can take one ETH and borrow like 5,000, 5 ETH worth of USDC, right? Loan to value way greater than 100, right? Loan, loan is one ETH, value is uh, uh, 5 Sixth, actually, sixth. So, yeah. So, if you have the time, research. If you have the time and energy, I would encourage you to use a platform like Token Terminal. That uh, it, I, I honestly think Glassnode and Coinmetrics. It's it's overkill, um, especially if you're not a professional trader. You can get really sound financial metrics from Token Terminal that you can use to quantify trading volume, daily active users, developers. Right. You take all those metrics. You combine it with like the amount of revenue the protocol generates versus the amount of revenue it keeps. It's called retained earnings. You do the math, you use the DeFi protocols, you use the dApps, you believe in it, and you take outsized risks, right? Um, But again, this requires conviction, research, and energy. If you don't have the time to do that, and you just want to appreciate and like the, if you just want to participate in the broader appreciation of crypto in general, might be easier just for you to buy and hold ETH, BTC, or Solana, or Nair if you're feeling a little spicy, right? Uh, but what I what I what I implore everyone to do, uh, no matter what, is to reject all crypto narratives. And this sounds really spicy. Um, I would just be super cautious about all crypto narratives on Red, on Twitter and and Reddit. I mean, all of these crypto, all of these narratives, I believe. That attempt to explain why the crypto price of 
why the price of your favorite crypto stock is going up or down. I mean, you've heard it all. Shorts are getting squeezed. Leverage has been wiped out. Ethereum is not deflationary. ETH will be 10000 next year. Point of sale, proof of stake has limited all sell pressure, right? These are all narratives that attempt to explain the current price action in the, mar- in the market. These are highly qualitative statements that really don't prove anything. The only thing that we know with 100% certainty is that ETH and Bitcoin are highly correlated to the performance of the S&P 500. Everything else, this this noise about like proof-of-stake sell pressure being eliminated, ETH being net inflationary, short squeezes being wiped out, leverage like leverage being gone, right? Those are explanations, but that doesn't explain. There, there's no like data to say to to justify that is why the prices are going up. And I I encourage everyone to read this book, Irrational Exuberance by Robert Schiller. I read it a long time ago. I read it once a year. That's how good it is, right? It analyzes investor psychology and how humans attempt to rationalize bubbles, peaks, valleys, long-term price, asset mismatch, right? This is when the price of Ethereum is X, but should be X plus 100 or X minus 100, and extreme price movement, right? Robert Schiller in Irrational Exuberance uh, explains this through the lens of like herd behavior that is uh, justified by compelling stories, Um at current price levels, it the narrative is around this concept called moral anchors. It's the belief that focuses on the vividness, plausibility, the consistency of qualitative factors rather than quantities and probabilities. I mean, if you've heard anything about like the whole Ethereum, like as the decentralized supercomputer of the world, uh, like the whole bankless thing, we're going west, right? Those are really awesome, like narratives right that focus on beliefs and vividness rather than quantities and probabilities right that is i think all of crypto twitter and reddit and just exercise extreme caution when embracing a narrative you see on there right in fact i encourage you to take a moment and like look at your twitter or reddit feed and like ask yourself is it a manifestation of the moral anchors tied to a specific belief of your crypto asset or is it like hard and fast data so this is my closing thoughts. If you accept my theory that Bitcoin ETH price action is highly positively correlated to U.S. equities, which you should because the data is clear, there's no way around it, you're probably asking yourself, well, why are um, what's causing the price of U.S. equities to go up? That's a fair question. And we did answer it in number one, uh, I, but I'm going to call this out again. I don't think U.S. equity prices are going up because of uh, market growth and consumer demand. In fact, 82% of the S&P 500 companies who ha- uh, have reported negative earning guidance in Q1 2023. I have a chart that's um, that uh, that we can see here. It's S&P 500 change in forward 12 months earnings per share versus change in price 10 years. This is on factset.com. And what you can see is the uh, price action between uh, the S&P 500 share price and the forward 12 month earning per share guidance and what we can see is that for let's look at the actual headline here for Q1 2023 58 of the S&P 500 companies have issued negative EPS guidance and 13 has have issued positive EPS that's the 82% 
The 4 12 month P ratio for the S&P 500 is 18. This is below the five year average, but above the 10 year average, right? So more room to go. So we don't think that the S&P 500, uh, so we don't think that um, uh, corporate growth is the reason why U.S. equities are going up, which is weird because that should be the only reason U.S. equities are going up, right? It's a function of like, consumer spending and how strong the balance sheets are of these companies. What the market is saying is, in a nutshell, the market believes that Jerome Powell, who, uh, who leads the Federal Reserve for the, U- the U.S. Federal Reserve, is going to lead us to a soft landing conducive to a strong U.S. domestic employment market with record low unemployment rates. Plain English, the markets think we're not going to recession. Uh, Alfonso Pecatilio from the Macro Compass. You guys should check it out. It's a really great read. I had a very interesting point of view on this. He said that uh, this is with respect to Jerome Powell uh, at the last FOMC meeting. Jerome Powell didn't push back enough. And so markets are now rallying hard in his face. And given Jay Powell's lack of real pushback, markets won't stop unless data comes in very hot, right? So basically, uh, the markets are saying, hey, uh, it's bull season. We don't believe you, Jerome Powell, right? And as a result, that's why we've seen this uh, uh, increase in price action uh, within the S&P 500 and beyond, right? To be fair, Alfonso is forecasting a shallow recession in Q2 2023. But like you can compare this against like other corporate institutions, finance investment banks like Goldman Sachs, who now is saying, they adjusted their uh, recession guidance from 35% to 25%, right? So uh, Goldman Sachs thinks a likelihood of a recession is um, now 25% or less, right? Meanwhile, LPL Research, uh, this is like a technical analysis, independent research advisory firm that I follow, uh, states a recession will happen in 2023, but it'll be shorter than the post-war average because consumers are on better footing with access to hot labor market and large amounts of cash, right? LPL research goes on to say that after this mild recession is going to be over, once it's over, there's going to be 64 months of expansionary activity. That means 64 months of equity prices going up. So Take this all with a grain of salt. Uh, the markets think that we're not going to go into a recession. Some economists think that uh, the markets have misplaced growth expectations. Goldman Sachs tends to agree with the markets at this time. Some uh, research institutions think the truth somewhere in the middle, but they all point to the same net-net outcome that once the recession's over, whether it's deep or shallow or long and impactful and have unemployment, once it's all over... We're going to have a super bullish expansionary um, equities market, which will have a positive implication on crypto prices. Because why? Crypto assets are highly correlated to the performance of the S&P 500. We know that to be true, right? Um, I've written quite a bit about recessions and financial institutions and how I don't trust them and their inability to predict they just can't predict with any meaningful amount of confidence what the future holds. And I've actually wrote uh, some analysis on this. And I even wrote my prediction of 2023 with respect to the S&P 500. I predicted that the S&P 500 will end at or near 4,000 by 12-31-2023. Right now it's at 4,095, right? You put all that aside. Uh, everything I've said about like Jerome Powell, the U.S. uh um, 
uh, in inflationary expectations, recession happening, not happening, technical indicators about like daily moving averages, oscillators, implied volatility. Um, it goes on and on and on. If you put that all aside, I leave you with this. If you want to predict the performance of your favorite crypto token, start by checking its correlation to the broader U.S. equities market. Chances are it behaves like a high beta tech stock. If you do this, it will save you a ton of time and heartache. Buy the highest correlation crypto asset, hold it, maybe do a little bit of leverage, and just wait for and wait to reap the benefits. That's all I have, everyone. If you like what you heard, go to frontrunnercrypto.com. Hit the subscribe button. I encourage everyone to actually read this analysis. Like, read it. Don't just listen to this YouTube. I put the link to the analysis in the show note. I think you're gonna a lot of you're gonna get a lot of like alpha. And I'm just generally a, a proponent of like reading. I think it's a great way to learn and retain information more so than doing like uh, watching YouTube or even doing audiobooks. I think reading is the path. So. Make sure you check the show notes, you click the link, you read the article, go to frontcrypto.com, it's free. And if you disagree with me, if you don't think crypto assets are highly correlated to the performance of uh, the S&P 500, tell me why. I'd love to know. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm, ha- I'll, I'm not meriting opinion. I will happily change it if your point of view is compelling enough. So until next time, I'm your host, John Cook. Thank you for listening. We're on a journey to front run the next generation of wealth creation, decentralized finance, and crypto. Hit the subscribe button, share with your friends, and subscribe to our newsletter from crypto.com. Remember, don't invest more than you're willing to lose. Until next time, guys. Peace.